more specifically, a passion to pray. So with that said, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your presence in the house. We thank you, Father God, for the Holy Spirit working and moving and doing what he does best. We thank you, Father God, for the ministry of the Holy Spirit tonight. We welcome him. We open up our hearts to receive whatever he has in store for us tonight, Lord God. We thank you for a message and a word that you have for each one of us. Let it be a timely word. Let it be a word that will encourage, that will strengthen, that will lift up our faith, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Open up our eyes and allow us to see wondrous things and help us to bring understanding to your perfect will. Lord, for this we thank you and we honor you tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Uh, the, when we talk about the concept of prayer, as one pastor would say, it's closely related to a sheepdog. Now, a sheepdog is considered one of the most trained dogs in the world. They're trained to help farmers and shepherds. They're trained to round up sheep, box sheep in, keep them in their fold, even corner them. And then once they've completed their task, then they're trained to go right directly to the master's feet. And so when we talk about the concept of prayer, a shepherd or a sheepdog, in a manner of speaking, prays all the time because he finds himself at the master's feet waiting for the next instruction. That is prayer. Prayer is the abiding relationship that we have with the Father where we find ourselves in his presence at the master's feet watching and waiting for his instructions. That is the essence of prayer. That is the concept of prayer. In John chapter 15 and verse 7, it tells us, if you abide in me, my words abide in you, you will ask or pray what you desire, and it shall be done to you. That word abide is a primary verb, which means to stay, that is, in a given place or in a state or relation or expectancy. It also means to dwell, to be present, to remain, in this case, in Christ. And having said that, there are three categories that many Christians fall under. The three categories are, there are Christians who pray much, and there are Christians who don't pray as much. And then there are Christians who just don't pray at all. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves, what three of those categories do we fall under? And let's not see a show of hands. I don't need to know. That's between you and God. But one pastor says that prayer is like a triple A card. It's always there when you need it, but you're never going to use it as much unless there was an emergency. How often do you guys use your AAA card? How many of you use it when you have an emergency? Well, that's the attitude many Christians have when it comes to prayer. But I believe that God wants to bring us to a much higher level in our prayer life. I believe that he wants to, to bring us to a much deeper realm. You know, when, when you think about the tabernacle, the tabernacle has the gates, and then when you enter into the gates, you have your outer court, and then you have your inner court. Then you have the holy place, and then there's a veil, and behind that veil is the most holy place. 
Have you remember the song where it says, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. There are many Christians who settle for just praying at the gates. And there are those who may go a little further than that and pray at the courts. But if, let us remind ourselves that there's no longer a veil separating us and God. There's no, more, there's no more veil that separates the most holy place with his people. So why settle for praying in the gates or in the courts when we can go directly into the very throne room of God? And that's what God wants to do. He wants to take us beyond the courts, beyond the gates, and press into the very throne room of God. Look at what Hebrews 4.16 says. He says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God has invited us to come into his very presence anytime, any day. It's a free, free access. And that was done because of what Jesus did on the cross. Prayer is the way we do that by entering into the very presence of God. The very essence of prayer, the heart of prayer, is communication with God. That's what it is. It's talking with God and communing with Him. And as we all know, good communication requires what? Talking and listening. How often or how many times do we spend talking to God and not enough time listening? How often do we spend time talking to our spouse and not enough time listening? Don't answer that. But understand that prayer is what keeps us connected and tuned in with the Father. When we constantly communicate and commune with Him. Sometimes we use prayer to, as, as something that we, use, that we do to get something from God. And there's nothing wrong with that because the Bible tells us that we can go to God when we, whenever we have a need. That's okay. But prayer is also communicating and connecting with the Father. Sometimes we can spend hours talking to people and just a few minutes talking with God. And again, there's nothing wrong with talking to people. But understand that people are not our source of authority or power. God is. And we have access through prayer with this almighty God. Another thing to know about prayer is that it's not like having a genie in a bottle. Prayer is not some magical formula that we, 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 we call on God to do our bidding. We're not Aladdin, and God is certainly not a genie. Prayer is, about, well, prayer is not about persuading God to do something that we want him to do, and it's certainly not getting God to conform to our ways. Prayer is conforming ourselves to God. And please understand that. One key ingredient to make prayer successful and effective when we pray is to have a passion for it. A passion for prayer is necessary in developing intimacy with God. You have to understand that our passion has to be directed towards a relationship with God. Not just to go to God just to get what we want and need. Not treat God like he's some sort of triple A card. Not to treat God as though he's some, some genie in a bottle but to be able to sit and talk with him and communicate with him. That's what prayer is. That's the essence of prayer. Look at Psalm 42. Look, look at verses 1 and 2. It says, As the deer pants for the water, 
Brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. Verse 2 said, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So the psalmist here is writing of his longing to be with God. Just like a deer who's thirsting and longing for water. And then he asked the question, when can I go and meet God? That's a person who has a desire to want to spend time with the Lord. That's a person who has a passion to be with God and to get with Him. A longing and a desire to see God. That is awesome. And that is the kind of heart that we need in order to maintain this passion for prayer. It's not just an act of praying that God is interested in. It's what motivates us to pray that God is interested in. Look at Matthew chapter 6 and look at verse 6 because prayer is about our relationship with God and getting with the Father. In Matthew 6, 6, this is what Jesus says. But you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, who is in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, there's nothing wrong with public prayer. Public prayer has its, its place, and it's necessary. But you can't compare uh, uh, public prayer when you have your own personal prayer life. It's completely different. And Jesus is telling us that it's, the thing is that when we get along with God, that's the time that we can get intimate with him. That's the time that we can pour our hearts to God. This is when we can just... Tell them everything, how, everything that we feel. You can't do that in a public prayer. But you can just be yourself and just tell God everything that you feel in your heart, what your weaknesses are, where your feelings are. You can be real with God. But you can do that in a secret place. That is the essence of prayer, private communication with God. Jesus said that when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you. And pray to your father secretly. And what I love about this verse, it says, when you do that, he says, that the father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Man, and I just got that. I said, oh my goodness, God can reward me openly when I spend time praying with him in secret. Private prayer enables us to pour out our hearts, express our true feelings. And then just wait and listen in the quietness of our secret place. Look at Psalm 91 and verse 1. Very familiar verse of Scripture. Probably, you probably all know this. But verse 1 says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High abides under the shadow of the Almighty or the shadow of El Shaddai. That word abide in the Hebrew means to lodge. A lodge is a place where people come to sit, meet, and live. It also it means to pass the night under the shadow of the Almighty. So when we come into that secret place, we stay there. We can pass the night there under his shadow, under his protection, under his presence. And we all know that it is impossible to develop a relationship with someone that you don't spend enough time with. When I first got to meet my wife, we all 
had, we all shared the same circle of friends. So I would get to see her when we're together doing uh, Bible studies or prayer meetings or choir practices or, or when we're doing skits or when we're just traveling in just as, 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 as you know, a bunch of friends. And, um, but she was very quiet. My wife's very quiet. So it was very hard for me to get to know her. But the more I was around her, the more I began to observe certain things about her. And then at some point she began to open up and then we began to get to know each other. And as I got to know each other, as we got to know each other, and as I got to know her, I began to fall in love with her. Because I got to see, I, I saw something in her that I didn't see before. And, and, but that's because I spent time with her and she spent time with me. Fortunately, she felt the same way about me. Because when she got to know me, she didn't reject me. She said, I love you too. So thank the Lord for that. But you can't know anybody or develop any kind of relationship if you haven't spent enough time with that person. Prayer time is time invested. You know, I always enjoy reading great men and women of God. And what I've learned is the secret to their success in their life and ministry is their passion to pray. One such person is a person called Dwight L. Moody. Many of you know who he is. He was a well-known evangelist during the late 19th century. He was the Billy Graham of his time. And he was a very powerful, powerful preacher. But those who know him closely, those who know him personally, would tell you that he is a greater prayer than he was a preacher. It was his praying or his passion to pray that made him successful in his ministry. It was, it's, it was said that D.L. Moody, went, whenever he was confronted with obstacles that seemed insurmountable or impossible, time and time again, he always knew the way to overcome all difficulties, and that was through prayer. He believed that, and he practiced that. He knew and believed deeply that nothing was too hard for the Lord, and that prayer can do anything that God can do. That's what he believed. One example of his dependence and faith and prayer in every difficult situation was the time when he was in charge of a project in a town called Northfield. And he found that he was $20,000 short. Now, he was determined to get that $20,000. But he didn't want to go to the person or to anyone who had the ability to contribute to the $20,000. No, he was determined to go to God. And his prayer was this. Lord, I need $20,000, but I want you to give it to me in a way that I know that it comes from you. That was his prayer, and his prayer was answered. God provided him that $20,000, and it was clear that that $20,000 came from God. But that's because he believed that whatever situation or circumstances that he had faced, he refused to go to people. Instead, he went to God. That's a person who is passionate about praying. He was a man who believed in the God who answers prayer. He was a man who met every difficulty that stood in his way by prayer. And everything that he set out to do was backed up by prayer. That's why he was so successful and in everything. Because the ultimate dependence upon God was, that, that's what he was. He was dependent upon God in every situation. And that takes faith. Because when you find yourself in the circumstances, we begin to start thinking, okay, how do we get out of this? Our brain starts to work, 
And we try to figure out, okay, do I go to this person or do I go to the bank or, or should I go to that person or show, what do we do? But D.L. Moody was determined to go to God to fulfill whatever need that he had, to help him in whatever situation he found himself in because he believed in prayer. Now, let's talk about some examples in the Bible of an effective prayer life. Let's look at Elijah, for instance, the prophet Elijah. If you go to James chapter 5, look at verses 16 through 18, where James writes his letter to the Christian church, and then as he closes in his letter, he closes with words describing effective prayer. And he uses the prophet Elijah as an example. And he says this in verse 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now look at verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on land for three years and six months. Then in verse 18, and then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. The effectual fervent prayer of Elijah closed up the heavens for six for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, the Bible says, and the and God opened up the heavens and it began to rain. But one important thing that I want you to notice what James said was that he was a man who has had the same nature as ours. Now, when we look at this and we read about men like Elijah who prayed, causing the, the, the heavens to stop raining for three years and six months, you know, and, and then cause it to rain again after he prayed, you know, you say, wow, I wish that I can do that. You know, I, I mean, this is awesome that he was able to do that, and I wish that I can do that. But here's the thing, because we look at these great men and women of God in the Bible accomplishing many things, and we think that we can't do it because we see them as some superhuman individuals. And we can't do that because we're not like them. But what James is saying is that he's no different than you and I. He's just as human as you and I. In other words, we can have that same effectual fervent prayer as Elijah because he's no different than us. So we can have that same connection, that same effectual prayer that Elijah had because he was just as human as, as we are. Aren't you thankful that these men of, and women of God in the Bible are just like us? They're not some superhuman being that we can't accomplish what they can accomplish, what they've accomplished. We can accomplish just as much as they did. But because of their faith and their commitment to pray, that's what helped them be successful in their area of ministry in life but we can do the same thing too then we read elijah when he brought fire from mount carmel you know the story over in first king chapter 18 we don't need to go there and he challenged a prophet of baal and there were 400 of them and he challenged them say go pray to your god to send fire down and then when you're done i'll pray to my god to send fire down so he challenged them and so these 400 uh, prophets cried out long and hard. They even uh, tore, you know, cut up their, 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 their skin just to try to get the attention of their God. 
and the God never responded. Then Elijah said, okay, it's my turn. And he prayed to God, and God brought fire down. That's a man of prayer. That's a man who had a passion to pray. And, all, and understand this. The same God that Elijah served is the same God that is very much alive today because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's just as much our God as he was Elijah's God. Then we have Elisha, the prophet, over in 2 Kings chapter 4. And again, you don't need to turn there. But if you remember Elisha, this widow woman came to Elisha and told her that her son was dead. So Elisha went in and prayed for that son to rise up from the dead. And that son rose up from the dead. Life came into that child because of Elisha's prayer. Many people, family members, friends, relatives, neighbors, they're all dead in their trespasses and sin. We need to pray to our God so that he can raise, up, raise them up from their spiritual death so that they can become alive in Christ. Then you have King Manasseh. Go to 2 Chronicles chapter 33 and look at verses 12 and 13. Manasseh was a king of Judah and he was a wicked king. And he had done everything that he could against God. I mean, he was just, he was just a mean, mean king. Until he found himself in trouble. where He was captured by the Assyrians and brought to Babylon as a prisoner. And then in verse 12, he begins to pray. He says, but while in deep distress, Manasseh sought the Lord his God and sincerely humbled himself before the God of his ancestors. Verse 13, and when he prayed, the Lord listened to him and was moved by his request. So the Lord brought Manasseh back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh finally realized that the Lord alone is God. If God can hear the prayer of a wicked king like Manasseh, who was backslidden, how much more will God listen to us in our time of distress? Right? <coughs> Excuse me. Now, one key factor about Manasseh is that when he prayed, the Bible says that he humbled himself. Prayer is an act of humility. Because when we go to God in prayer, what we're saying to God is, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. Lord, I don't have it together. Lord, I'm not all that. What we're doing, we're telling God, Lord, I need you more than anything else. And without you, I can't do nothing. We are humbling ourselves before God. And we're making our plea saying, Lord, I can't do this, but you can. Lord, I don't know what I'm doing, but you do. Lord, I'm, I don't get it all together, but I know you do. Prayer is about humbling yourself. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Look at verses 14 and 15. Listen to what it says. Then if my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, what does he say? I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. Verse 15 says, and my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer that is made in this place. 
He said, if you will humble yourself and pray and seek his face, he says, and turn from our wicked ways, he said that he will hear from heaven and forgive and restore. That's exactly what he did to Manasseh. Manasseh humbled himself. He prayed. He turned from his wicked ways, and God was able to not only hear his prayers, but restore him back to the throne. That's our God. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6 and 7. He said, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all of your cares upon him, for he cares for you. How do we cast our cares to the Lord? Through prayer. But we come with humility, saying, Lord, I can't carry this burden, so I'm going to give it to you. Lord, I can't handle all this worry and all this stress, so I'm going to give it over to you. Humility is so important in prayer. And when you stay connected with God in prayer, humbling yourself and staying in that humble state, you put yourself in a position for God to do some awesome things in your life. You put yourself in a position to see God work and move like like you've never seen before. Then we have the ultimate example of an effective prayer life, and that's Jesus. His prayer habit was that Christ prayed to his Father for everything. Every great crisis in his life always proceeded with prayer. Jesus did nothing apart from the Father. Everything he did, everything he spoke was, was after he came to the Father in prayer. Let's look at an example. He Go to Luke chapter th- uh, 3 and look at verses 21 and 22. It says, When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And watch this. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. In verse 22, And the Holy Spirit descended in, uh, upon him in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. So even at his water baptism, Jesus prayed. And when he prayed, the Bible says that the, the, the heavens opened and the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove. And he was filled with the Holy Ghost. We read also in Luke chapter 6 and verse 12, where it says, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain and continued all night in prayer to God. Now, this is the only place that we recorded in the Bible that Jesus prayed a whole night. But this is what I want you to see. What was he praying about? What took place or what was about to take place? Well, when he came down from the mountain, he gathered up his disciples and began to teach them some of the most powerful and awesome message of sermons that he could ever preach. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. But he could not have done that had he not spent the whole night praying to God. Other examples of Jesus' prayer habit. In Matthew 14 and verse 23, it said that when he had sent the multitudes away, how many times, how many of us, have to send people away so that we can be alone with God. (laughs) Well, Jesus did the same thing. He would send the multitudes away, and then he would go up into a mountain by himself to pray. And now when evening came, he was alone there. Another example is Mark 1 and verse 35, where it says, Now in the morning, having risen early or long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there 
he prayed. We see another habit of, it, of his, getting up early, way before daylight, to get along with God, to pray. Then in Luke chapter 5 and verse 16, so he said, so he himself often withdrew himself into the wilderness, and there he prayed. So we get a glimpse of uh, Jesus' prayer habits. He would either pray all night, he would go up to a mountain by himself to pray, he would get up early in the morning before everyone else to pray, or he would just withdraw himself from everyone so that he can be alone with God to pray. Even when Jesus prayed for Lazarus to rise up, go to John chapter 11, verse 41 and 42. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Verse 42. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now notice that before Jesus spoke the dead to life, Jesus spoke to the Father first. Nothing happens, and I've often heard this time and again and uh, here at this church, nothing happens until we pray. Nothing happens until we go before God who is the source of all answered prayers. So this was Jesus' prayer habit. This was his prayer life. He was in constant communication with the Father. And he was always sure that his prayers would be answered because of the connection that he had. Everything he did, everything he spoke was a result of his direct connection and contact and communion with the Father. And what's so interesting is that when Jesus prayed in public, his prayer was short and to the point. You ever notice that? But when he got along with the Father, it was much different. His prayer was much longer. Even when you pray, short, brief prayers can be also effective. Look at an example here in Luke 18 and verse 13. If you remember the story where the Pharisee and the tax collector goes into the synagogue together to pray. On one side of the synagogue was the Pharisee, and this was his prayer. He says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like the adulterers or the cheaters or the greedy people or even this tax collector over here. Lord, I paid my tithes. I thank you that I, I go to church on Sundays. I read my Bible. I give good things to people. I, do. What is this? I mean, this is a long, drawn-out prayer, but it's a prayer about himself. It was a prayer motivated with, by self-righteousness. However... The tax collector, his prayer was very short. The scripture says that he couldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. And his prayer was simply short. His prayer was, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, this man went home justified because of his short prayer. Not because the prayer was short, but because of his attitude, his, his humility. Another example, if you remember the prayer uh, of the thief on the cross next to Jesus over in Luke chapter 23 and 42. And he says to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And his prayer was answered right there on the spot when Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Then you have another example. Christ is prayer. His last prayer on the cross was very also short, very brief, and very to the point. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do and how about Peter when he was walking on the water 
And, and as, as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he was fine. But the moment he turned his eyes off Jesus and began to look at the wind and the wave, he began to sink. Now, his prayer was, as he was sinking and drowning, he said, Oh, Lord, I beseech you in the name of your son. Please reach down and save me from my, my drowning. In the midst of my drowning, please hear my prayers and show mercy. No, his, short, his prayer was very short and brief. He said, Lord, help me. And his, answer, and his prayer was answered because Jesus snatched him out of the water and placed him in the boat. So prayer, short prayer, can be very effective. But there's a time for short prayer, and then there's a time to really take the time to commune and talk and, 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 and share your heart with God, and then waiting to listen to his response. That takes some time. Now, there are some common excuses that people make when it comes to prayer. There are three common ones. One is too tired to pray. Another is I'm too busy to pray. Another is I don't feel like praying. Let's talk about first being too tired to pray. How many of you have ever fallen asleep when you prayed? Now, let's be honest now. Come on. Now, I know every one of you, every hand should be up. I fall asleep many times praying. But the question is, how do we avoid that? How do we avoid falling asleep when we pray? By giving God our best time of day. A day where you're alert, a day where you're refreshed. You know, there are some people who are morning people. They get up and they prefer praying in the morning. There are people who are night people who would prefer praying at night. Now, I still see a temptation to fall asleep on both. And here's the thing. David prayed three times a day. The Bible says he prayed in the morning, in the evening, and in noontime. And we say, wow, I'd love to do that. I wish I could do that. You, actually, you can. You can pray all day, every day. As a matter of fact, you can start off the day in the spirit of prayer and be in constant prayer with God throughout the day. So you can pray every day or three times a day. Daniel did it as well. But you can do that as long as you remain in a spirit of prayer. But giving God our best time of day to use a quality, as a quality time for prayer, that's the best time to avoid falling asleep. And you decide what the best time is. Now, in the scriptures, we learn that people pray at various times and various nights and days during the day or night. For instance, in Acts 3 1, it says that Peter and John went into the synagogue to pray at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. David, when he was not praying in the evening or in the morning or in the noontime, said that he also prayed at midnight. And then you have Proverbs 8 17 that says, God says that he loves them that seek me early. So, my point here is that. We see that throughout Scripture that the time of day is less of an issue when it comes to prayer. You can pray any time, any day. What is the best day where you can give your quality time to prayer? So pray at a time where you can be more focused, where you can be more alert, whether it's walking, whether it's pacing, or maybe even praying audibly. 
And also carry a glass of water to keep you refreshed. Or even throw it in your face when you find yourself falling asleep. Then there's the excuse of being too busy. Now, being too busy is, uncom is not uncommon. Every one of us is busy. We all have busy lives. But how do we get the time, set a time to pray? Here's a problem. Even though we live busy lives, when we allow the, our, our busyness to get in the way of our prayer, that can lead to prayerlessness. And that's dangerous. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. In Matthew 21 and verse 13, Jesus made prayer a priority when he says, My house shall be a house of prayer. If Jesus made prayer a priority in his life, shouldn't we also make it a priority in our lives? Regardless of how busy we are, regardless of how tired we may be. By not praying, we're actually disobeying the Lord Jesus. Because in Luke 18, 1, he says, men ought always to pray and not quit or give up. When it comes to prayer, now listen to this. When it comes to prayer, we can exercise the principle of sowing and reaping. Now we know that sowing and reaping applies to finances, but it also applies to time. If we give God our time, God is able to multiply what we give him. That's what sowing and reaping is, right? You're given, it shall be given back to you. For, let me give you an example. Let's say, for instance, you had 15 minutes to spare in your, in your busy schedule. Check, uh, take those 15 minutes and give it to God and use it for a time of prayer every day. 15 minutes every day. If that's all the time that you can spare, give it to God. And then you'll find that when you pray 15 minutes today and tomorrow, then you'll find you get 20 minutes. Next thing you know, you find yourself with 40 minutes to spare. Then you find yourself having 60 minutes to spare. God is able to increase whatever we give him. And if we give him whatever time, whatever time we designate for prayer, God is able to expand and increase that time. So try using the principle of sowing and reaping when it comes to your time, especially when it comes to praying, because praying is so important and so necessary. What about those who don't feel like praying? Wouldn't it be great if every time we go in our prayer closet and pray and we experience the Shekinah glory of God? Wouldn't that be nice? But in reality, that doesn't happen all the time. Because prayer is really about simple obedience and hard work. Now, that doesn't mean that we cannot experience the Shekinah glory of God. We can. But even if we don't, that's not enough to be discouraged. But if we come with expectancy, don't be surprised if that happens. Listen to what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 41. He says, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. For the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Notice what he says. He says, watch and pray. Why? So that you won't enter into temptation. And he asks, and then he goes on to say, because 
Our spirit may be willing, but our flesh is weak. Disciples fell asleep when they should have been watching. Their flesh was weak, and they didn't pray. Many times we don't feel like praying because of our flesh, and we give in to our flesh. And when we give in to our flesh, we don't pray. And when we don't pray, we lose that communication and, and connection with God. And when we lose that communication and connection with God, then we find ourselves in a spirit of prayerlessness. But we pray because the Scripture tells us. The Bible tells us in Colossians 4 to continue praying earnestly, being vigilant. That means staying awake in it, in prayer, and with thanksgiving. Jesus tells his disciples that prayer is to be an act of your will. So therefore, we cannot wait to feel like praying so that we can pray. Otherwise, we won't pray. Did you get that? Okay, because I I just confused myself. I don't know what I just said. But it sounded good. So the act of prayer is a spiritual discipline which requires effort and determination. So we have to be determined in our hearts to spend time in prayer. Making time. How many have ever heard that term? We've got to make time. If we wait for time to come, it's not going to come. But when we make time and be determined to make time and make that time a time of prayer. Because only then you'll be able to experience the benefits of your prayer. Now, prayer is necessary. How many believe that? How many believe that prayer is important? It is. It's also necessary. And the reason why is because every one of us in this room are products of someone's prayer. Had it not been for their prayer, where would we be? Right? So prayer is necessary. Listen to what Ian Bounds said. He says, the more praying there is in the world, the better the world will be. He said, the mightier the forces against evil everywhere. Prayer in one phase of its operation is a disinfectant and a preventive. A disinfectant because it purifies the air. A preventive because it destroys the contagion of evil. Interesting way that he puts prayer. Where there's no prayer, there's no power. Prayer puts God in full force in the world. We include him in the world when we pray. God's help, uh, God's help to do all things in God's way is only secured by prayer. And we have to understand, too, that prayer is a specific divine appointment for all believers. It's an appointment that we all need to take seriously and not take advantage or not take it for granted. Prayer is a mandate. Understand that. In order, a command, a directive from heaven by which God will fulfill his will to carry out his purpose and his design and to execute his power and grace on this earth. The heart of prayer is not only communicating with God, but seeking him to help clarify our role here on this earth. Have you ever wondered what your role is? Well, the only one that knows that is God. So part of that is by communicating with God. Say, Lord, what is my role here? What is my purpose? What am I doing here? Now, there's a danger of of having a church that doesn't pray. 
Because to not pray is sin. How many believe that? Look at 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23. Samuel understood that without prayer is sin. He said, as for me, I will certainly not sin against the Lord by ending my prayers for you. And I will continue to teach what is good and right. When we pray, we are in, in obedience to God's will and his command and his prayer for his perfect will. But when we, when we don't pray, then we're outside of his perfect will. We can't even know his will because we're not praying. How many of you have ever gone through a spell in your life where you weren't praying and you felt the difference, right? And you, you kind of feel like you, you, you feel distant from God. You feel kind of empty. You feel like kind of like, like you're barren. And then you realize, oh, that's because I haven't been connecting with God. I haven't been in communication with him. You stop praying. But when you come to that place, that's when you say, okay, you know what? I'm going to put everything aside and I'm going to pray right now. I want to get back and reconnect with God. I want to communicate with him. I want to know what he needs me to do. I need to know his will. When we pray, we're in obedience to God's will and command. And prayer is his perfect will. But when we don't pray, it rules out God out of the world affair. How many of you are praying for somebody? And how many of you are expecting God to move in that person's life? Well, what happens when you stop praying? Right? When you stop praying, then you're stopping God from working and moving in that person's life. But when you're praying, you're releasing God to be working in that person's life, whoever it is that you're praying for. Listen to the results of a prayerlessness. Look at uh, Job chapter 21. Look at verses 14 and 15. And, and believe it or not, there are some Christians who actually feel this way. And yet they say to God, go away. We want no part of you and your ways. Verse 15 says, who is the Almighty and why should we obey him? What good will it do for us to pray? Now, that's a very bad place to be when you have that attitude and say, why should I pray to God? Who is this almighty that I should pray to him? Look at Isaiah 64 and look at verse 7. It says, yet no one calls on your name or pleads with you for mercy. Therefore, you have turned away from us and turned us over to our sins. Imagine that when People, when, when, when the church does not pray and his name is not being called, God says, I have no choice but to lift my hand, take my hands off of you because you've tied my hands and I can't move. Prayerlessness prevents God from working and moving on this earth. Understand that as praying saints, we are agents of God. Understand that. We're here to carry out his saving provincial, a providential work on earth. This was Ian e. Bounds. He said, and if his agents fail him, neglecting to pray, then his work fails. Let me read that again. Praying saints are God's agents for carrying on his saving and providential work on earth. 
But if his agents fail, neglecting to pray, then his work fails. Think about this. If prayer moves God to work in everything, then not praying exclude God and rules him out of everything. So can you understand how important prayer is? Do you understand how we need to be more passionate when it comes to our prayer life? To, to develop a prayer habit that we pray with him, to him constantly, being in constant communication with him, not just to ask him for things, but to spend time talking with him and more importantly, listening to him. Prayer puts God's work in his hands and it keeps it there. Now, those who pray would be called first responders. You know what first responder is, right? When there's an emergency, who's the first to respond? The EMTs, the police officers, the fire people, the National Guards. These are people that are there first, responding to whatever crisis there is. Well, that's what we are as prayer warriors. We're first responders. Whenever there's a crisis, what do we do? We respond with prayer. You can say that Jesus is also a first responder when it comes to praying. Because the Bible says that he prayed in every crisis. In every crisis, he always went to God and asked for direction. <clears throat> Let's look at an example. <clears throat> Nehemiah was a first responder. When he heard the situation, <coughs> excuse me, about what was going on in Jerusalem, the first thing he did was pray. Look at uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning verse 3. And they said unto him, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, verse 4, When I heard these words, Nehemiah said, that I sat down, and wept, and mourned certain days, and fasted, and prayed before the God of heaven. He heard a crisis that was going on in Jerusalem, and the first thing he did was responded with prayer. But he went beyond that. He fasted and prayed, and he cried, and he mourned for many days. That's the first responder. Daniel was another first responder. When you heard that the laws were made where nobody could pray to their God for 30 days, what did he do? Look at Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 6. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators, the satraps, the counselors, and the advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute. And to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Verse 8. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed. Listen to this now. So that it cannot be changed. In other words, once it's written in law, it can't be changed. It's law now. And so... It says, and it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Now look at verse 9. Now therefore, King Darius signed the written decree and made it law. Verse 10. 
Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And what do you suppose he did when he went home? And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day, and he prayed and gave thanks before God, as was the custom since early days. So Daniel had a prayer habit. And even though the laws were made that he could not pray to anyone except the king for 30 days, he still continued his prayer habit, regardless of what the law stated. And he did it openly because he had the windows open, so he wasn't afraid or ashamed that people would hear him. But he was more committed to prayer. But he saw that as a crisis, and he responded with prayer. Are you a first responder? When you find, face yourself, or find yourself in a crisis, what is your first response? Panic? Fear? Worry? Do you call the pastor for prayer? Or do you go to God and pray? That's what first responses do. Prayer requires a response, a willingness to turn someone's life around or to help change the circumstances around them. People rely on our prayers because there are people out there who don't pray, especially those who are not serving God. So they need prayer. And so they, whether they realize it or not, they rely on our prayers. So we need to be first responders when we know that there are people out there who are lost and need our prayers. So we need to be on our knees praying for them willing to turn someone's life around with our prayers or changing their circumstances. Prayer is the first response of every believer in times of tragedies, difficulties, emergencies, crises, and other circumstances. One person says that prayer closet is the arena which produces the overcomer. Boy, I love that. Philippians 4, 6 tells us this. Do not fret. Or have any anxiety about anything, but in every circumstances and in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, continue to make your wants or needs known to God. Let's not be like the boy and the fried chicken. You ever hear that story before? It's about a boy who, whose mother cooked fried chicken for dinner. And so it was his turn to pray. And so as he prayed, he prayed with his eyes open because he had that, he, he had that chicken thigh. It, it, I mean, he was, that's what he wanted, that particular fried chicken thigh. So he was praying. He was eyeing that chicken. And he was praying that, God, I want that chicken. I want that, 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 that fried chicken. As he was praying, what he would also do is he was folding his hand. He would take one of his hand and he puts it on the table to get it closer to his goal so when he pray finishes, he can grab that chicken thigh. But see, the problem with that was that he wasn't thinking about God. He was thinking about that chicken thigh. So what he did was he got rid of God in his prayer because he wanted that chicken thigh. There are many people who do the same thing to get what they want. Have you ever prayed and then all of a sudden you get distracted and you start thinking about something else. Your mind wanders into something else, but yet you're, you're still praying, but your mind is not even towards God. Your mind is on something else. 
It's like your hand on the table so you can get closer so you can reach your goal. Sometimes we use prayer as a way to, for us to get rid of God in our prayer time so that we can get the real thing, the thing that we desire most. Look into what Jesus said, and I'll close with this. Matthew 15 and verse 8, it says, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Jesus said that our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. Listen, saints, we are in a spiritual battle. So the only way to fight a spiritual battle is through spiritual weapons, using spiritual weapons. And, and prayer is our spiritual weapon and is a powerful weapon because prayer can include God in whatever it is that we're asking him to do, especially when it comes to not only our own personal lives, but also the lives of others. He's able to change other people's circumstances through prayer. He's able to change people's lives through our prayer. And every one of us are all testimony to that. So let's pray as we close. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege and the honor of praying your perfect will. Father, help us to develop a prayer life, a prayer habit like Jesus. Lord, that we can pray whether in the morning, whether in the noontime, whether in the evening, or even in the midnight hour. Lord, help us to be in a spirit of prayer. Help us, Lord God, to pray continuously. Help us to be willing first responders, Lord God, whenever there's a crisis. Lord, help us to seek you first before we seek anything else. Help us, Lord, develop a relationship and a connection with you through our prayer life. Help us, Lord God, to not settle for praying at the gates or praying in the courts. But Lord, let us go beyond that. Let us press into your very throne room, into your very presence. And Lord, we thank you, Father God, that as we make time to pray, honor you in that time, Lord, we know that you're going to multiply in our busy life. And Lord, we thank you, Father God, for helping us to stay alert as we pray. And Lord, that we, know, we don't give in to temptations, Lord God, but to stay focused in our prayer life. And Lord, we thank you for this privilege. We thank you, Lord God, that the essence of prayer the heart of prayer is simply communicating with you. And Lord, we look forward to that. Let us long to pray and be in your presence, Lord God. And Lord, for this we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Uh, as you know, uh, you know, you can 